Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. I'd like to think there's a greater focus on well-being at work now than ever before. The pandemic, working remotely and the strain on both physical and mental health has made well-being in the workplace a prime consideration. I wanted to look today at how a successful tech company manages it and whether there are lessons here for other businesses as well. Lucas Finch is the global head of well-being at Zero cloud-based accounting software company. He's also speaking at the Accounting Business Expo on the 14th and 15th of March in Melbourne, which of course is a supporter of this podcast. Lucas, welcome to Fear and Greed. Thanks so much for having me on, Sean. Global Head of Wellbeing. How many companies have a Global Head of Wellbeing? Seven. Oh, (laughs) you do know the answer. That's well done. It's increased certainly since the pandemic and there is the chief mental health officers, there is a rise of these sort of uh, more senior positions in mental health, but it certainly exploded after 2020, after the pandemic. Okay. And so what is your role at Zero? So my role at Zero is to develop and implement a wellbeing strategy. It's it's 80% looking at internally for our zeros and 20% looking at our customers. And that there's various frameworks that you rely on to develop a wellbeing strategy, but a really well-known one is looking at how you support wellbeing and looking at services like EAP, how you promote wellbeing. This is drawing from the literature of things like uh, health promotion and positive psychology. But a big chunk, and I think this is what differentiates a lot of wellbeing programs, is there's this protect wellbeing and that's where you look at how we design work and how we can sort of build, you know, the time you spend in the office, people's experience of work to be a really positive contributor, not only to their own well-being, but also like it has positive outputs. So this idea of protect well-being, I'm interested in that. Is it something that's more difficult when we have hybrid workplaces nowadays? Is it something that every organisation can do for employees who work remotely most of the time? Do they need to be in the office? How does it work? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So there's there's a lot of literature that's available. So there's lots of great ways of doing this. And the how we go about this has always been the tricky and the devil is in the detail. Great call out regarding hybrid work. I suppose a really good framework is looking broadly at what demands are on employees, things like, and we know that hybrid work's added not only time to your workday, increased screen time, increased meeting load, like there are certain demands we know exist as a result of hybrid work. And so the question is then, well, either how do you reduce those demands? And if you can't, well, what resources can you give people to better deal with these demands that they're facing? And often the two best resources available to people, things like control, and the other one would be support. So control would be looking at things like, well, how can I choose when and how I can actually opt in or opt out of meetings? Like if I don't have to be there, can I opt out? Portioning off chunks of people's day so you can have the ability to dive in and do your deep work. You're not just pinging around and doing shallow responses to email and Slack all day. And, and, and those kind of like really tangible ways you can win back people control. Um, we saw a lot of that over the pandemic. And I think that's a great strategy in that, in that protect area. Okay. And then support is, it is what it says it is. Yeah. And so there's uh, historically many ways that people receive support, support in an organization and supportive leadership behaviours are a really key one. And, and I think leadership looks really different in a hybrid and remote work setting. 
but there's also individual support you can get from team members. And there's a higher level, and I guess we could have a look at this as well, level of feeling supported and cared for by that people experience as part of an organizational culture. So it's part of what we call a well-being climate. Stay with me, Lucas. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Lucas Finch, Global Head of Wellbeing at Zero. How important is that organisational culture to wellbeing, feeling part of something that you want to be part of, really? I mean, the second part is more important than the first part. You can feel part of something, but actually that you really want to be part of it. Yes, and so that sense of something greater, that sense of meaning and purpose and that's an organizational resource. Like that helps offset some of these demands. And specifically to health and well-being, like that's a great contributor. We know from a personal level, that sense of purpose is a great predictor of, of things like longevity and also like lots of like specific health outcomes. Yeah. And specific to health and well-being, when we talk about the well-being climate, we look at how a, an organization, and it can even just be a small company but it, or a large one, creates this culture through Four things, showing a priority of health and well-being, a commitment to those, you know, areas that have been identified as being important, communication about like how we're progressing against those and participation. So getting people involved and in the process as well. And and those four facets have been shown to be really important for this, creating this well-being climate. And they're super predictive of not only individual level outcomes, like if you get those four right, people will flourish in their roles and they'll also be like time and time again, repeated studies show that there'll be less sick leave, less burnout, you know, and, and, you know, less attrition, which is really key for a lot of people at the moment. So it's a win-win. There's been studies, particularly in the UK, the whole four-day work week experiment that's going on. And there was a recent one where the results were unambiguously positive towards a four-day work week. How important are that is, I mean, I'm certainly not proposing a four-day work week because I don't know that I agree with that or don't agree with it. I don't have an opinion, but just the ability to be really flexible. Yes. So I, I think you, you're right. And in terms of individual companies implementing the four-day work week, it's a hot topic and there's a lot of uh, complexity when you look at the demands of specific businesses. But I, I think you've nailed it. And what the promise of the four-day work week is that is so attractive and so important is that aspect of flexibility. And like this move with hybrid, we've moved from being geographically in one spot to being like geographically independent. And the next transition that needs to happen is we need to move from being time-bound to being time independent. So that would be leveraging asynchronous ways of working, the ability to work you know, when and how we choose to. And I feel like this is the next frontier of you know, unlocking some of that flexibility in organisations. As you're talking, it reminds me of something you said earlier on. I think you called it a deep dive in terms of your ability to work uninterrupted, I suppose. I suppose the opposite of that is to is shallow work, which is something that you can perhaps do two or three tasks at once. How important is it to somehow manage to get that, to be able to get the time where you're not answering Slack messages or you're not thinking about anything but what you're doing? Because I often find in the office, that's much harder than at home. At least at home, there might be an hour or two where I actually can really do a deep dive. 
Yeah, no, no. I think that's, it's so true. It is harder in the office. And I think that's part of what people are experiencing. In fact, many people, a lot of research shows people get more work done at home. We did see productivity increases. It's not a perfect solution. And I think there's still a great role for in-person collaboration for sure. But great question. The, the, the concept of deep work was popularized by a guy called Cal Newport, who wrote the book, uh, Deep Work. And Oh, and another wonderful book, which uh, was super popular last year, uh, Stolen Focus. I'm not sure if you read this. And it looks at more of a social argument, looking at how our attention has become eroded through the constant clickbait headlines and the short message services. And I feel like as a species that we've got a great calling to actually start to carve back control over our attention. Work is a great place to actually do this. And we've got We've got the ability to design work and it's one of the areas I get really excited about because rather than falling into some sort of default ways of working, which may be sort of waking up and scrolling Slack and on your email and bouncing around all day, um, we know that people often make their greatest contributions. Like those things that are going to be on your CV, you know, in five years' time, they come through this deep focused work. And so why don't we um, prioritise that for people? This is where the innovation, these solutions that our business needs come from, yet this kind of deep work and even having some time for people to engage in creativity and, you know, enhance their default mode network by taking unscheduled breaks. These strategies are the keys for performance. I think Ariana Huffington said downtime is a feature, not a bug. Just, I mean, one final question, and Lucas Finch, given that you are the global head of wellbeing at Zero, presumably Zero is obviously putting money behind it. What about Australian companies generally? Do you think, and let's say in the listed space, do you think that companies have travelled down the path far enough to really understand the benefits of wellbeing and are putting resources behind it, or do we still have some way to go? I think we've got some way to go. There's been maybe a few evolutions of workplace wellbeing programs. The first one being fruit bowls and yoga classes. Mm, love those. Which, which are great. You know, I'm, I like fruit and yoga. Mm, yep. The next evolution includes those and extends understanding those factors which impact things like productivity and burnout. And this was, you know, th- these factors were which we've been talking about today really became more recognised and there's more people well-versed in these practices However, the implementation and rigor in getting strategic plans in place in a lot of companies is something that's still developing. And it's a super exciting space because now people are seeing opportunities with the emergence of hybrid working to really put some of these strategies in place. Lucas, thank you for talking to Fear and Greed. Thanks so much. That was Lucas Finch, Global Head of Wellbeing at Zero. He'll be at the Accounting Business Expo in Melbourne on March 14 and 15, which is a supporter of this podcast. Just search Accounting Business Expo for more. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Aylmer. Enjoy your day.